This is Chris. Welcome to episode 366 of X Last, which is our uh, well second sort of kind of milestone in a row, uh, with uh, today being the Leap Day episode. So uh, if you were to listen to an episode of X Last every day of the year, including during a leap year, well, you wouldn't hear a repeat, though you would probably hear me repeat myself quite a bit. And today we're going to be discussing an issue that might take us a leap year to get through, because... Well, there's a lot in this issue. This is uh, what we back in the uh, Cosmic Treadmill days would probably call a, uh, a tentpole episode or a tentpole issue. We're going to get a whole lot of new information here with which I will, uh, well, I'll do what I usually do. I'll, uh, you know, I'll submit to a lot of um, baseless speculation and uh, wild uh, theorization. Theorization? Is that a word? Theorizing. There we go. I will theorize as to what all this uh, information might mean, what it might be leading to. And of course, uh, since I am like seven months behind in these books, you've got me at a disadvantage. So a lot of the stuff we get here may already be solved. You know, this may already be answered, and I might sound like even, uh, you know, a bigger clown than usual here as I uh, speculate wildly and uh, attempt to get my... uh, you know, my land legs under me as we uh, get into this one. This is a biggie. At least it feels like a biggie. So how about I uh, quit vamping and we hop right into Immortal X-Men number three. It's had an August 2022 cover date. The story is called Part 3, The New Testament of Irene Adler. Written by Kieran Gillen with art by Lucas Warnick. Colors Diho Lima. Letters VCs Clayton Cowles. Designs Muller with Bowen. Edits Amara White Sabolski. Cover price $4. And it went on sale on June 22 of 2022. Now we open with narration from Destiny. Now Destiny will be our POV character for, uh, well, pretty much the entire issue. Now, if we were to flash back to episode 341 of this program, uh, that was Immortal X Men number one. In that issue, we got uh, 12 Sinister Secrets. One about uh, each member of the Quiet Council. Now, this being the third issue of the series, uh, it has to do with the third secret. Now, in that episode, episode 341, I said, when describing Sinister Secret 3, something about writer's block and someone returning to writing. And I said, perhaps that's a hint toward more Destiny Diaries. And, well, I guess we're about to find out how accurate that guess was, and hopefully... I'll remember to call back to those secrets for each, for each issue of Immortal X-Men to come. I'm pretty sure I already missed uh, issue two, which was about hope. And uh, yeah, the sinister secret was about hope. Anyway, back to the story. And Destiny is thinking back to how her powers manifested when she was 13 years old. 
Now this is illustrated to us with her like on horseback, but the horse is rearing back, and we see many X-related visions laid out before her on the horizon. Among them we see Old Man Wolverine and Old Lady Call Me Kate about to be flame-broiled during Days of Future Past. We see an island with a Krakoa-faced tree hovering above it. Mystique's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, or maybe they were Freedom Force here. It's, uh, it's Blob, Pyro, and Avalanche. You know that crew. The Shadow King taking over Legion, likely from the Muir Island saga when uh, Destiny died. And the original five X-Men doing original five X-Men things. And I'm not sure if this is a vision of them in the Silver Age or during that overlong, all-new time displaced deal that we uh, just are barely recovering from now. From here, we stick around Flashback Land, and we watch Irene write in her journals. Now, she explains how she filled 13 books in 13 months. She somehow knew, well, perhaps it was a, uh, pardon the pun, vision of the future that she would soon lose her sight. And this was uh, first explained to us during Extreme X-Men number one. And I tell you what, you guys know I'm not a huge fan of digital, but thank goodness for Marvel Unlimited, so I don't have to actually go digging through... Dozens of long boxes to find this, uh, the My Extreme X-Men comics. Now, if you're not familiar with Extreme X-Men, um, this was a team put together by Storm with the express purpose of tracking down Destiny's diaries. Now, this express purpose was very, very quickly forgotten all about, but uh, that was the original intent of this series. Well, here in Extreme X-Men number one, Sage narrates the scene of Destiny writing. And we even get to see her on that same horse beforehand. It's a lot of neat continuity here. Um, now, Sage, in her narration, says, When she was 13, her mutant power became active. She gained the ability to perceive the future in all its myriad permutations. She continues to say, Over the course of the next 13 months, she transcribed the events she beheld in her mind's eye. One volume for every month. She crafted a comprehensive record of the years to be, the futures of the world, of humanity, of mutant kind. She could see the future, but she'd become physically blind. Now, Sage's telling varies a little bit from Destiny's own here in uh, Immortal X-Men number 3. Now, Sage says that many of the writings were done in code and in languages that Destiny herself didn't know. I would assume, or I guess I could uh, speculate, that this was probably Claremont prolonging his series or attempting to prolong the Extreme series by setting up future stories wherein... Maybe the team has to try and translate or decode some of the entries, maybe meet some people who could do that sort of thing. I don't know. I mean, it was 20 years ago. Uh, now, Destiny doesn't really say that here, though. Um, her telling is that she wrote the books, and with that, her work was done. She says the last thing she ever saw with her eyes was the last line she wrote in her 13th journal. We hop back to the present, and we join Mystique and Emma Frost as they watch over Irene, who is currently writhing and wriggling in bed. She looks to be in great distress. Now, I think we saw this during last issue's cliffhanger. Like, I, I think we saw Irene kind of, like, grab her head and, and drop. But, in honesty, it's been like six months since I last read it, so I can only say that with about 95% certainty. Now, it looks like Emma is trying to get into Destiny's mind here, and even gets to see a little bit of that vision we saw earlier during the horse-rearing back bit. Maybe it's feedback, maybe it's not as clear a vision, but it's the same, it's the same material. Now, Emma informs Mystique that, uh, well, the council has to meet. 
Xavier said there's got to be a meeting, but he also promised that it's going to be a pretty low-stakes deal. No big decisions being made, no huge high-stake voting. It's just they got to meet, I guess. Um, and the reason for that is that Storm's away on some Iraqi thing. Uh, perhaps she's still dealing with the fallout of the Vulcan Tarn Magneto Mishigas that we saw in X-Men Red. Now, Mystique, she's worried that Destiny's going to leave her again, that she's going to die, which... I don't want to be that guy, but what in the hell would it even matter? She'd be gone for a half hour at most. So there's just no gravity to this. I understand, you know, you don't want a loved one to pass, but I think I think in this current X-Men landscape, you know, that ship has sailed. And I mean, I thought the whole point of mutant immortality was to, like, kind of be more creative with the stakes, right? Life and death doesn't matter anymore. It should be about... Whatever else a writer can come up with But we keep coming back to the same I mean, it's the same comic book tropes we've had for nearly a century now Which, I mean, they're tropes because they work But not in this context Unless I'm missing something very, very obvious Anyway, from here, we hop into another flashback land This time, we're being shown how uh, Raven and Irene first met And we have been shifted into the Old West now, Irene is still narrating, and she opens her tale by explaining that she was a sexual invert. Which, uh, according to Wikipedia, this was a theory of homosexuality from the late 19th into the 20th, early 20th century that posited inborn reversal of gender traits. Sexologist Richard von Kraft Ebbing was, is quoted as describing female sexual inversion as, quote, the masculine soul heaving in the female bosom, unquote. Irene knowingly ran into Raven at the Bar Fairy Saloon. Now, she needed Raven for reasons, and at this point she already knew that she'd fall in love with her. Now, it's not gone into here, but we did learn back in Extreme X-Men number one, which, thankfully, I still have open in my tablet, that Irene hired Raven as a consulting detective in order to assist her in gaining an understanding about some of the unknown variables in those visions. That's worth noting here that they are dressed the same in both Extreme X-Men number one and here in Immortal number three, which for a continuity lunatic such as myself is a pretty cool thing to see. She mentions in her narration uh, something about Queen Victoria being bemused over the idea of women being lovers. Now, this might be a reference to Victoria's rumored or mythified belief that lesbians didn't actually exist. Back in the 17th through 19th centuries, homosexuality among men was a criminal offense. Now, the Criminal Law Amendment Act of 1885 sought to expand that criminality to include women, to which it's rumored or miffed that Victoria refused to sign this into law, arguing that, quote, women do not do such things, unquote. I can't say that this is legit in the slightest, but it's certainly interesting and um, also certainly not a rabbit hole I expected to go down today. It's a, it's always a treat to be, uh, you know, introduced to some weird history, you know, that uh, may or may not be real, but still, it's an interesting study nonetheless. Uh, back to the story, and Irene explains how Raven was her first nexus. She says that nexuses are key to understanding her powers and how her powers aren't like 100% exact. Remember, she sees possible futures, permutations, stuff like that. Sure, she can see things, but you know, you also have to account for, you know, chaos theory and any kind of unseen variable. She can't be 100% all the time. Now, we flash over to a panel of uh, the Brotherhood during Days of Future Past. Uh, also, a panel of Destiny stood before one of those looks like a police evidence board where everything's kind of connected by string and yarn and whatnot 
Which I tell you, it's a pretty cool panel. Till we remember that Irene's blind. I don't know what she'd be getting out of looking at a uh, or standing in front of a uh, a police evidence board or a brotherhood evidence board, I guess. Anyway, she explains that Krakoa was the limit of her visions. She knew that Krakoa was going to be a thing, but if it was to ever become a thing, well, she would have to die first. Because lest we forget, one of the architects of Krakoa was the Mora. And perhaps if Destiny never died during the Muir Island saga, she might have killed Mora before she had the opportunity to kick off Krakoa. And, uh, I mean, we saw, what was it, uh, Life 2? Of Mora, where Destiny threatened and then killed her Like a pyro set her on fire um, Maybe she was trying to She is in Destiny Maybe she was trying to avoid something like that coming to pass Before Mora could do the whole Krakoan thing Especially since we now know That Mora's ambition this whole time Was fueled by Xing out the mutants I'm not sure how accurate that is But um, it makes sense to me uh, it's kind of implied here, if not outright said, that Destiny let the Shadow Kingified Legion kill her during the Muir Island Saga. Like, she knew she was going to die there and didn't do anything to stop it. This is kind of a muddled take on the Muir Island Saga. It's a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, we have, like, Malice's involvement. It's not as straightforward as it's being presented here, but it does the job just as well. From here, we hop over to the Quiet Council. It is the present. Hope is being filled in on all the moraness that she had missed. And um, she understands the gravity of it, but doesn't really see the reason to hide it. She suggests they just tell everybody. Be open about it, you know? Why, why are we bothering to hide this anymore? It happened. We're past it. Let's just tell everybody. And Xavier nixes the idea. He says it's terrible. To which, Hope asks why Xavier ever bothered giving her a Cerebro helmet in the first place, if at the end of the day, he doesn't want her being involved with any of the decision-making. And Xavier, well, I mean, I would assume he probably cocked an eyebrow here, but he's wearing the damn helmet, so we don't know. He denies having ever done this. And of course, we the readers know that uh, he didn't ever give her this. Um, it was actually Mystique posing as Xavier back during Inferno who gave Hope the Cerebro helmet. And at this point, Sinister speaks up. He says that, hey, you know what? Right around that time... He was visited by Magneto, who demanded he hand over Destiny's DNA. And, I mean, during that scene, it was pretty obvious back then that he knew that he was probably dealing with Mystique. Um, and certainly not that he was dealing with Magneto, probably because, well, if we go back to that scene, Mystique had shapeshifted into Xavier and not Magneto during that issue of Inferno. So Sinister was never in Magneto's presence there. Um, if we hop back to the show notes from X-Lapsed episode 266, which is exactly 100 episodes ago, when we discussed Inferno number one, I said the following. And this scene happens after um, Mora tells Xavier and Magneto to do some of her bidding here. So I would say, and so we follow Magneto and Xavier as they go about enacting Mora's plan. Maybe. All we see is Magneto going to Island M, where one of the Cerebro Cradles is, though we don't see what he actually does once he's there. We see Xavier chatting up Mr. Sinister to grab Destiny's DNA. The little vials of her DNA, or whatever, are labeled SN3 in Krakoan. So I guess we can go on by saying whoops, and uh, suggesting we just play along and pretend that the editors actually read this stuff before sending it off to print. Now, Sinister is acting plenty shocked here, and it's pretty great. 
He's very animated, and the suggestion that he's been deceived by the higher-ups in the Quiet Council is... It's pretty funny. It's really, really good. Uh, Gillen does some some good sinister. Uh, he even mocks up a, a Mystique form to taunt Raven a little bit. And um, and it works. Mystique is very, very mad about it. It's, it's a really, really cute scene. If only they didn't mess up the continuity. Uh, Raven stands up and she says, Hey, you know what? I only had two choices here. One was bringing Destiny back, and the other was burning the place down. Which, of course, we remember that from uh, X-Men Volume 5, Number 6, way, way back at the start of this program. Now, as Mystique and Xavier argue, we zip back over to... Was it the Oracle? Is that what we call Mystique and Destiny's house? Whatever it is, we're there. And Destiny has woken up to many all-new visions. And, oh boy, it's time to get into it. Among them, we see an island engulfed in flames, and I would assume we're looking at Krakoa. I might be wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure it's Krakoa. We see a giant building with a magneto carving atop it, which looks kind of like the one from the uh, like post-destruction Genosha. I think we saw it on the cover of an issue during the Morrison run, where like the survivors of Genosha built this magneto shrine or this magneto temple... It was just a giant building with Magneto's head on it, and that's kind of what we're seeing here in, in some form or fashion. We see the X-Men fighting the Avengers and the Eternals. I wonder what that's all about. Uh, we see Mr. Sinister in a ruby throne, surrounded by X-Men with his signature red diamond on their uniforms. Perhaps, speculation, this is an early call ahead to whatever the hell Sins of Sinister is or is going to be. We see Exodus stood on a cliff, with many worshippers down below all raising their hands to him. We see Magic as the Dark Child. She, she was called the Dark Child, right? I honestly can't remember. Whatever the case, she has stood atop a pile of X-Men corpses. And finally, we see Jean as the friggin' Phoenix, because why the F not? From here, we hop into our double-page spread of Roll Call and Cred. Wow, that's kind of late, isn't it? <laughs> Today, our characters are going to include Professor X, Hope Summers, Destiny, Emma Frost, Sebastian Shaw, Call Me Kate, Nightcrawler, Storm, Colossus, Exodus, Mr. Sinister, and Mystique, the Quiet Council in Toto. We hop back to comics, and we're in the now. And wow, um, we got a lot more to talk about here. This is kind of comics kind of info page uh we got a lot of like little circles with possible future events written in them uh there are a lot of them so um we will try to break them down here while also wildly speculating and as i mentioned at the top of the show with as far behind as i currently am so many of these might have already been fleshed out or reneged or, or just uh, proven wrong, and I wouldn't have the foggiest idea. But uh, let's put on our thinking-slash-conspiracy caps, and um, we'll do our best. Uh, we see one that reads, Limbic infer Infernality. Hmm, infernality, that's a hard word. Now, as of this issue, I'm trying to speculate what this could mean here. I'm pretty sure the last time we read New Mutants... Magic, Maddie Pryor, and a few others were still trekking through Limbo. Limbic, Limbo, maybe this has something to do with it. I I don't know. Maybe, maybe it has something to do with it. We have a Nimrod extinction event, and we see this bubble three times on this page. Now, I'm not sure if these are specific Nimrod extinction events, or maybe a, like a generic nod to the times where Nimrod wins and wipes out who and whatever it's hoping to wipe out. 
maybe these are different, just different outcomes wherein the X-Men lose and Nimrod wins. We got one called the Spark Inquisition. I'm assuming that has to do with Legion of X stuff since the Spark is Nightcrawler's calling. Judgment Day. Yeah, I think we have a pretty good idea what that is. We have the Empire of the Red Diamond. I'm going to guess that this is a Sins of Sinister thing. The Storm System. Now, I'm pretty sure I saw in Marvel previews that there's a Storm miniseries spinning out of or running concurrent with Sins of Sinister, like Storm and the Brotherhood or the Brotherhood and Storm or Storm's Brotherhood, something like that. Maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe it's something altogether different. We got one that reads The Broken Sword, which (laughs) I hope it's not more swords. We already did swords. I don't want to do them again. Um, But in our current uh, X-Men parlance here, sword can mean a couple of different things, right? It could be a literal sword. It could be the Cerebro Sword. It could be any of the, uh, you know, it could be the Soul Sword, any of the X's of tens. Or I suppose it could be an Abigail Brand thing. You know, there are still sword space stations floating in space, so could be that. We have a new Krakoa and Krakoan Dissolution, which I think are pretty generic statements, right? Um, could mean pretty much anything. You know, new leadership in Krakoa, Krakoa just going away. It's just a, I think these are kind of just potential endpoints for uh, wherever we're headed. We got one that reads Cassandra Supernova. And if I go really, really far out on a limb here, I I might suggest this might have something to do with Cassandra Nova, who is currently just about the only semi-redeemable part of Marauders. We have the reign of A, which I haven't said in a long, long time. We haven't seen Apocalypse in a while. Maybe he is, uh, maybe he's going to be on his way back. We got Legion 12, or Legion XII. And you guys know me. I always get kind of excited anytime I see a 12 related to the X-Books, um, which uh, usually only leads to disappointment. Now, I'm not sure what this could be exactly, though. Maybe we know Legion you know, has got multiple personalities. Maybe 12 of them are going to surface. Maybe he's going to cycle through 12 of them, one of the most powerful ones. Maybe, maybe there's a reason for the 12 of them. Maybe the 12 are a team that he, is, he assembles. Maybe as a sort of messianic character, maybe he has 12 disciples decide to follow him. Or we did see in the latest, well, not the latest issue of Legion of X, but the latest one we talked about, we saw a vision from um, Blindfold where Legion was stood before his own quiet council. There are 12 members in the quiet council. Maybe it has something to do with that. We got, hmm, that's a hard word too, canticle, canticle. C-A-N-T-I-C-L-E Canticle, maybe Canticle for Talia So, not only can't I say canticle I don't know what the hell a canticle is So, we look it up And we find out that a canticle Is a hymn or a chant Typically typically with biblical text Typically biblical That's a hard sentence to say I'm not, uh, you know, the allergies And just my overall stupidity And marble-mouthedness Really makes this difficult Anyway, a hymn or a chant Biblically speaking. Um, Now, Wikipedia tells me that there was a mid-20th century novel called A Canticle for Leibowitz by William M. Miller Jr. Now, it's set largely in the post-apocalypse at a Catholic monastery. In it, Isaac Edward Leibowitz, a Jewish engineer, joins the monastery after deducing that his wife had died. His life mission becomes preserving knowledge, 
and so he memorized, hid, kept, and copied texts. Major themes of this work are recurrence and cyclical history, which kind of fits in with these post-Mora, post-Destiny stories. Sounds like an interesting book, but I feel like I'm about rabbit-holed out for this episode, so I'm not going to go any deeper than inch-deep, mile-wide on that. Um, So we know what a canticle is. We might be asking ourselves, who in the hell is Talia? Not totally sure, but the only Talia we know, in the X-Men terms here, would be Nocturne the daughter of Nightcrawler and the Scarlet Witch from Blink's Exiles team. Now, she did wind up in the 616 at some point, though I can't remember whether or not she stuck around. She might still be around, she might have bebopped back to wherever she came from. Maybe this is her, maybe it ain't. Now, Talia, it might be worth noting, would be Mystique's granddaughter. Sorta, at least in whatever dimension she came from, since Nightcrawler is her father. The next bubble reads AVX-6, or AVX-VI. Oh, man. Okay, now AVX. I'm I'm not blowing any minds here. AVX was short for Avengers vs. X-Men, otherwise known as Act 1 of Marvel's uh, movie temper tantrum and trying to screw the X-Men out of their position here. Now, I'm not sure if this is a reference to, like, the sixth epic battle between the Avengers and the X-Men, because that really doesn't make much sense to me at this point. I'm pretty sure they've already fought like 6,000 times, not just six times. But AVX-6 could... Hmm, could this be a reference to something that happened in the sixth issue of Avengers vs. X-Men? <sighs> I guess I gotta check, don't I? All right, all right. All right, Avengers vs. X-Men number six. In it, the Phoenix Five have just arrived. And that kind of rhymes, doesn't it? Now, this is the Phoenixified Cyclops, Namor, Colossus, Emmerfrost, and Magic. The issue opens with Xavier being greeted by Magneto, and Magneto welcomes him to Utopia. He is led to Cyclops, who tells him he's done all of this for him in the name of his dream. And by all this, I mean the Phoenix Five have basically fixed everything wrong with the world. There's no famine, there's unlimited energy, there's no pollution. The Earth under the Phoenix Five, has truly become a utopia. I think we have some parallels there between this utopia, this short-lived utopia in the sky in Avengers vs. X-Men, and Krakoa, in that uh, we have people being welcomed to an island where we're promised happiness and health and anything you could possibly need, immortality even. So I think there might be some parallels here. Uh, also, during that issue, Cyclops offers the Phoenix power to Hope before telling her that she he's not sure that she deserves it. Hope is becoming a larger part of our cast. You know, she's not just a background character anymore, at least for the time being. And we do have some Phoenixness in this issue. We have one in Destiny's Vision, and we're going to have a little Phoenix-ish cameo um, on the other end of this here. So there is some Phoenix stuff going on. Um, there's also, in this issue, AVX-6, uh, there's a ton of boring-ass Iron Fist stuff clogging up the book, but I skipped all of that this time. It might also be worth noting that um, this issue of Avengers vs. X-Men was written by Jonathan Hickman. Don't know if that has anything to do with anything, but hey, not saying it doesn't either. Our next bubble reads, The Dominion of Orcus, which, hey, remember them? I don't. Uh, We have the Immolation of Judas's next. Uh, Not quite sure, but it sounds like an extreme reaction to a non-believer or a non-follower or a turncoat, a doubter, I don't know. Or is that doubting? Thomas is the doubter, Judas is the traitor. So a traitor, I suppose. 
this might be right up Exodus's alley, especially with the scene that immediately follows this page, which we will get into shortly. We have another bubble that reads the Jean Corsairs, and that's Jean as in like G-E-N-E, not uh, like Jean Grey. This will also come up in the next scene, and even after reading it, uh, damned if I could tell you what it actually is. Maybe we'll learn more as we move on. Our penultimate bubble reads Unity, and maybe this has something to do with the Phalanx Unification hive mind dealy from X-Cubed, maybe? Or maybe it's just a generic term. You know, unity, everybody's united, everybody's cool, that's just a possible outcome. Finally, we have the Expanse, which is also described in the very next scene as, quote, a distant reach of a mutant church empire. And in the next scene, a special emphasis is placed on the X in Expanse. It's like lowercase e, big X. I guess it's all about the branding. Uh, from here, we jump into Flash Forward Land to get some sort of nebulous explanation for a handful of these bubbles. We're at the Expanse, as mentioned, and Mr. Sinister has arrived in a Shaw battery-powered cloned meat ship. Which almost sounds Morrisonian, doesn't it? It's a ship made of cloned meat and powered by Sebastian Shaw batteries. I I don't know. Uh, Now, Exodus meets Sinister and refers to him as a Gene Corsair. Still don't know what a Gene Corsair is. Uh, We can make assumptions, because, you know... uh, Sinister is doing the whole Chimera thing. He's messing around with genes, so maybe that's what this is about. Maybe this will make a lot more sense during Sins of Sinister. I really don't know. Anyway, Exodus, who has a teeny-tiny phoenix-like figure on his left shoulder, kills Sinister, which, somewhat surprisingly, reboots the timeline. Hmm. Well, if you remember, he cloned Mora, or something along those lines. Uh, Destiny sees all of this happen in her vision and comes to the same conclusion that Sinister cloned Mora. From here, we hop back to the present, and we're back to the Quiet Council chamber where Raven is still laying into Xavier. And oh, by the way, Storm's here. She ain't supposed to be. And it's only for a single panel, but she is, in fact, here. Oh boy, Destiny's here, too! Who, uh, who Who's supposed to be quality-checking this? I mean, she's also just here for this one panel before making her dramatic entrance at the bottom of the page, but come on, y'all, that's that's kind of simple stuff here, isn't it? Anyway, uh, Raven is calling Xavier out for dangling the Destiny carrot, when in reality never having any intention of bringing her back. At which time, call me friggin' Kate stands up and delivers a line that literally makes me want to die. She says, wow, Chuck, that's some real Professor Xavier is a jerk energy you're throwing out there. Kill me. Seriously, kill me. Uh, Like, all the goodwill I had toward this issue was just flushed. Can we please stop with this? I'm begging you. Reference humor is not humor. Can we just stop it? And yeah, she is striking that same pose she struck in Uncanny 168. So yeah, this this sucked. Uh, Xavier pretty much tells her to shut her annoying mouth, and I will co-sign with that. Then, Destiny enters dramatically to warn that a war is coming, despite already being seated at the table. Uh, now, with how many damned wars we get a year in Marvel Comics, I, I I worry about even venturing a guess as to which one she's currently worried about. Though, gun to my head, which it kind of already was after the kitty line, I would guess she's talking about Judgment Day. Destiny warns the crew, but, uh, well, it's not good enough for them. Emma's like, we don't trust you. Would you, mo- would you submit to a mental scan? And Shaw's like, yeah, you know what, I don't trust you either. Let's do that. 
Well, Destiny refuses, claiming not to trust anybody else there, which is probably wise. I don't think anybody here should trust anybody else. Speaking of which, her mind drifts to Mr. Sinister, and she wonders if he knows that she knows what she knows. That, of course, being the cloned moroness of the situation. And she says that, uh, well, she's going to have to keep a little cagey for now, try to throw him off the scent if, in fact, there's a scent to be followed. Now, we follow Irene back to, again, I think it was called the Oracle. There, she's planning on writing some more prophecy, but gets distracted by Mystique. After some lovemaking, Irene explains that she's going to start writing again. But she asks that Raven not read it until she has to. Raven's like, well, when, when do I have to? And Irene says, you'll know when. We follow Irene outside so she could begin her writing, and she reveals to us that in all of her new visions, there was a commonality. That thing in common being that Mystique isn't present in any of them. And that is where we leave it. Next episode, Cox number three, which uh, yeah, we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> but uh, let's talk a little bit about this issue. Uh, we, we did a lot of our speculation during the spoilery synopsis here, so we'll just kind of attempt to briefly sum things up here without going too crazy. And Because, I mean, if you let me off my leash, I'm going to just speculate until I run out of... Uh, Oxygen and or words, whichever happens first um, But this was kind of a biggie This was a pretty big issue This, like I said, was a tentpole issue here We're setting up a lot of, you know, potential what to, what's to come things here uh, It was a lot of fun A uh, little frustrating um, Trying to wrap my mind around this kind of stuff I'm, you know, I've said this before I'm the kind of guy who, on like the first day of class Is already kicking himself for not knowing Not being able to ace the final you know, it's just kind of part of my personality. So we're getting all this information here. And the fact that I don't know where we're going is, on one hand, so much fun. But on the other hand, so frustrating that I can't call it. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, that's not a fault of the book here. That's a, what, what are the, what's the word here? It's not a bug, it's a feature. That's yeah, a feature of the book. Now, speaking of bugs and features... If we could somehow go in and remove the kitty line, I would be tempted to give this among my highest ratings since starting the show. But uh, we will uh, we'll just move on and uh, not ever mention that again. Until, like, the next slew of issues where Kitty makes the same damn reference again. But uh, we, we, we'll just move on. Let's just move on. Where do we begin with this one? Well, since we're still dangling from the cliffhanger, how about we start there? Now, we know Destiny's been granted a bunch of new visions. However, Raven ain't in any of them. Well, it might beg the question, how can that be? Now, does Raven die in a place where the rules of resurrection are screwy? Or preferably, since it wouldn't necessitate a trip into Otherworld, does resurrection just cease to be at some point in the future? Does she wind up thrown into the pit with Sabretooth and company? Do she and Irene simply break up. I mean, that's the least comic booky way of doing this, but you never know. They could just have a, uh, a schism, be either temporary or permanent, who knows. Or, maybe this was just another artist error. <laughs> maybe they just forgot to draw Mystique in these uh, these future visions here, and the editors picked it up at the very last minute, and they're like, hey, wait a minute, we can use this. So, happy accidents, right? I kid, I kid, but um, some, of the, some of the artistic uh, errors here were... I mean, nobody's perfect, but, you know, having Destiny in a scene that she's about to dramatically enter before she's even there, 
That just seems like such an easy spot error. Maybe Marvel needs to enact like a no social media rule in the office here. It's like, hey, find the errors and then worry about retweeting everybody who tells you how great you are at your job. Not gonna lie, it still gets under my skin that uh, I feel like we have to wait until like an X-Men movie is announced for people to, um, to take these books as seriously as they might take some of the others. What else we got? What else we got? Uh, Hope kind of standing up for herself was pretty cool to see. It's nice seeing her in an active role again. It was a, it was a little while her just stand. I mean, she was very vital to the Krakoan landscape, but uh, was a little more than like some very very useful wallpaper in the back of a lot of uh, panels. But uh, I like that she's back, you know, front and center here, standing up to Xavier, making suggestions on the direction of the. Weird little stuffed animal tea party government that Krakoa is trying to uh, maintain. I think that's pretty cool. And I love that she's being presented as being of a different generation. You know, where at the end of Inferno, when the Mora secret was shared, they all decided that, you know, we're, we're not telling anybody. You know, but here, she's like, why not? You know, and it's it, she's got a really good point there. I mean, what could happen? You know, I, I really don't know... What would be so bad about that? I think 95% of the people on the island, maybe 98% of the people on the island would be like, who's Mora? You know, <laughs> I don't know who that is. Why do I care? I'm pretty sure the only people who would be bothered by it are the ones that already know. Like, you know, Banshee, who had his <laughs> he had his run-in with Mora, didn't he? But I'm cool either way. If they tell, if they don't tell, I just like that the discussion is happening. And that we're seeing different points of view in the Quiet Council here for the first time. I mean... Everybody in the Quiet Council's always been out for themselves, you know, for their best interests. But here, it's a little bit different. It's more, it's more a difference in trying to think of the right word here. I don't know if it's ideology or just general outlook, you know, um, self-definition. Like, what is the Quiet Council? Because to most members of the Quiet Council, they have a very different definition of what it is compared to what someone like Hope might have for it. So I like that being illustrated. I like that being, having the light shined on it. I just hope, no pun intended, that the hope focus is not leading to another go round with the phoenix. Um, we did see a, we did see some phoenix imagery here, in uh, what's her face is Destiny's first vision. There was a phoenix. It was a red-haired woman. I assumed it was Jean. Could be Hope, though it was probably Jean since those were the old visions. Uh, we did see that scene with Exodus where he uh, killed Mr. Sinister. He had the little phoenix on his shoulder. And we saw last issue that Exodus and Hope are becoming chummy. So maybe there's something there. We did get the AVX6 um, hint on that uh, that weird bubble page. And in that issue, one of the main discussion points was whether or not Hope was uh, deserving of the phoenix power. So I suppose we're just going to have to wait and see on that. I would guess that during Judgment Day, we're going to have some sort of phoenix presence since um, Echo currently you know, has the phoenix. And Echo is an Avenger, and the Avengers are part of that, so we'll probably have some sort of Phoenixness uh, dropped in our laps then. What else do we want to talk about here? Um, the art, uh, you know, if we were able to remove those errors from the art, really, really well-drawn book. Uh, very, very pretty. Um, I loved the callbacks to Extreme X-Men, uh, the early issues of that, where we see Irene and Raven meeting. They're wearing the same clothes, which... I often make the comment about how Carol Danvers's hair length and style changes every single panel. You know, they can't keep it straight. And here we are jumping to uh, not, not so much an obscure book, 
but not one we talk about very often in Extreme X-Men and actually stuck the landing. You know, we had the scene of Irene on the horse. We have Irene and Raven meeting and they're wearing the same clothes. Just such a cool nod and so easy to do because it's all there, you know? It's, I don't know, I always find it so satisfying when I know that an artist went back into the source material and got reference and used reference and, you know, paid it forward. I love that kind of stuff. It shouldn't affect your enjoyment if you didn't read Extreme X-Men, but if you did, it adds to it. You know, it's just really, really cool. And I think we need stuff like that to happen more and more frequently. But, you know, I think I've probably taken this one as far as I can go. I mean, we could speculate until, uh, you know, until it gets dark outside, but uh, that's not going to help anybody, especially since I am so far behind. And for all I know, 100% of these things have already been fleshed out or wiped out or solved. And, uh, you know, I'd basically just be talking to hear myself talk, which I think I do enough of. So we'll call it right there. Uh, Of course, if anybody wants to discuss these theories, please feel free to reach out. You guys know where to find me. I'd definitely love to hear your theories, though I do understand that it's kind of difficult to share theories on things that might have already been solved without giving it away. So if uh, anybody out there wants to give it a shot, I uh, invite and encourage you to. But with all that having been said, I would like to thank you all so much for choosing to spend a little bit of your day with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.